This is Nathaniel Cogley. And this is Eric Morrow. Welcome to this edition of Cogley and Morrow on Politics. Things are heating up, so <laughs> it's time to be listening to us uh, each week right here on KTRL FM 90.5, as well as on SoundCloud and on wherever you download your podcast, uh, because you want to keep up. You don't want to miss out. Uh, you want some good analysis with civility and depth each week, and that's what we bring to you right here on Cogley and Morrow on Politics. Eric, I think our cover is blown, so the Nevada caucuses... Uh, If you stayed up late on Saturday night, you might see how those went. We are recording before we have that information. We have kids. We are not recording Sunday at noon. (laughs) We are a little little ahead of time. So even as of recording time, we don't know how those Nevada caucuses play out. They're certainly interesting. Certainly something we'll incorporate next week. But this first segment, we're going to focus on that big Democratic debate on Wednesday. This was... The record-setting, most-watched Democratic primary presidential debate in U.S. history. And that was largely because Michael Bloomberg finally made the stage. As you mentioned last week, they changed the rules. No longer was there a unique donor threshold. It was all about poll results or having some delegates. Bloomberg qualified from some national poll results. And he finally made the, the debate stage. And I'll tell you, Eric, he walked into a shark tank mm. there. They were coming at him pretty hard. They, they were. And now people are questioning his advisors to say, okay, yeah. you're not even on the ballot in Nevada. Why would you even he, he get may, on stage? He maybe and, had a way out to say, yeah. well, that's the debate for Nevada. I'm not focused on Nevada. I'll join later right. and bought himself some time. But I do admire that he was, you know, hey. If you guys invite me, I'll come. You know, that's kind of the the character and the spirit we would want. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, there's some of these issues that maybe aren't good issues, but, you know, how will we expect this to go? How are you going to handle this on stage when, you know, five people are attacking you? And, of course, they're all attacking each other. We have some clips. Let's play some clips. Get your thoughts on some of these clips. So this one was uh, widely cited in the press. Um, This is Elizabeth Warren right at the intro. And she's going to make a really strong attack here. Clip one, AJ. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. <laughs> Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, I'll support who the Democratic nominee is. But understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. (laughs) So here's the irony, before I get your thoughts on this. When she gave her post-New Hampshire speech, she talked about how factions are forming in the party. This is unfortunate. If you're trying to be the last man standing, you could tear the party down. But we need to unite here. And boy... As soon as Bloomberg comes on the stage, she was as negative and aggressive as she could be and, to some degree, effective. Eric, what do you think? I think she was effective in in the debate, at least in terms of the attack. Uh, In terms of effectiveness for her own campaign, I think that's still to be questioned. Because if we think back, and we've pointed this out several times, that really – her drop, uh, at least in national polls, began when she went after Bernie Sanders. And so 
now we see the same thing with Bloomberg. Uh, I don't know if, if she's trying to help herself or if she's actually trying to help Sanders, which uh, seemed to be the, the theme of the night, uh, w- whether they were th- thinking and doing it uh, directly or not. But but th- this was very orchestrated. It was very uh, clearly uh, it, you know, coming out from the very beginning. What I questioned when I was listening to it as well is, how prepared Michael Bloomberg was. I mean, was there any inclination at all that he would be the focus of attack uh, across the other, from all the other candidates uh, during the debate? And this just set it off and it really set the tone for, I think, for most of the debate. Yeah, I think he um, certainly knew these attacks were coming. I think he handled himself okay. I didn't give him an F, you know, the C here. But uh, what we hear from Warren there, this is her strength, you know. And I've been thinking about this field and and how no one brings the total package, but each of them brings something. And this is what Warren's consistently good been good at. She's the best studied, the best prepared. You know, she's mm-hmm. a professor. She comes in ready. She's read the background. She knows what she's saying. She can cite things. And uh, she was prepared for this debate, and she was prepared to go on offense against Bloomberg. She was, and and she was arguing almost like you would argue in a courtroom for yeah. your side. Because it, what what question what question I had was especially on the part where she uh, identified the non disclosure agreements later on. Oh, that's coming up. That's okay, right here. yeah, and and that 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 to me it was not so much that that was politics. There was not as much about fact and how these things actually work. It was an opportunity to attack Bloomberg and see how he would respond. Well, you segued us perfectly into clip two. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. Uh, How many is that? Let me finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just put, and let me put, there's agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. They signed those agreements, and we'll live with it. All right, Eric. Um, what do you think when you hear this uh, exchange? Um, I, you're right. I don't know if there's a deep substantive thing there, but um, I don't know that he handled it as right. good as he, he could. He, he did. He didn't. And what what should have been said, or what he should have been prepared to say, was that often with these non disclosure agreements, uh, those are wanted by the other parties as well. They don't want their name out there. They don't want their name out in the media. Uh, this is very very political on the part of Warren because she knows that. And with future companies, they might work for right. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, it could it could it could cause uh, injury and damage in other ways in the business world. They, yeah. they may not want people to know how much they received in a settlement. Yeah. So so there there's a very a good explanation. Bloomberg didn't give it. Warren was probably hoping that he would not that he would be caught off guard on this one issue. But Warren would know that. Warren would know that non disclosure agreements. 
there, there's a lot of complexity and there's different sides to the story in terms of how they end up and what the different parties want. But this was a very clear political play by Warren to try to catch Bloomberg off guard, knowing that she's playing to an audience, especially a studio audience, yeah. where you're, you're going to get that response because uh, she's casting it in this uh, this this atmosphere of the the that has impacted the Me Too movement and, and many other things, knowing that you're going to get a response out of that. And that's going to play well on TV. It's going to play well to people who really don't know what non-disclosure agreements are about. Yeah, and I think Bloomberg was ready for some criticism about maybe some comments he had made in the past. I think he's the first to admit that the times have changed. He's changed with it. Uh, so maybe he he admits he made some inappropriate jokes in the past and he wouldn't do that anymore. Um, but you're right. There, there's there, I think there's three audiences. There's one in the theater. They're Democratic activists who have been in involved in this campaign for a long time and have favorites uh, on stage there. And then there's the the Democrats who or the audience that's actually going to watch that debate, uh, the whole thing. And then there's the casual voter who just might see some clips or headlines out of this thing, not actually watch the debate, you know. So this played really well with that audience, but it threw Bloomberg off because a businessman is not going to be pressured to release a non-disclosure agreement live on stage in a debate. It seems like for it, for you know him, it seems like almost an inappropriate request. Aren't we supposed to debate policy for the presidency here? You know, sure. It, well, and you notice Biden tried to jump in in the oh, end, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's had his own <laughs> he's had his own uh, challenges oh, and yeah. issues as well. Oh, yeah. And I and I think it, part of that was maybe the the motivation to make sure that that didn't get deflected back on him in some way because now you look at this you've got Biden not not that we haven't seen Warren go after him she doesn't need to at this point right now, yeah. but but Sanders I mean Sanders sure. comments that he has made now uh, uh now Bloomberg this this does play well among that activist part a group within the party and I think she was trying to maximize the impact of that it really shows what a threat to the nomination uh, the rest of the group feels he is because this is headed into the Nevada caucus and then the South Carolina primary. He's not even competing in those. Right. And yet he was the source of attack or he was the, 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 the focus of their attacks when he wasn't even competing in the next two states. The person who rises to the top is the threat that people try to bring down. And the fact that it was focused on him, not necessarily Bernie Sanders, who's sitting there getting the most votes and, and looking set up for the next couple states. Um, you know, that's very interesting that they felt like he was such a threat and, they, and they're like very anxious to get him on stage and have him in that moment and make him on the defensive. Right. Uh, th this uh, Ron Brownstein in The Atlantic wrote a, a great article about this uh, this week. In fact, he's had several that have just been right on target the last few weeks. Uh, and and the focus was on how they go they went after the wrong person. That, that all the other candidates were, were had so much of a focus on Bloomberg now that he was a part of the group on stage, uh, really because of his, his political past becomes a, a target uh, for uh, the – Ideas and the the views of certain of the of the candidates, but now that he's there, now that they can go after him, and and really the impact is that it, it shielded Sanders. It, even though he had some very direct questions were asked of him, it wasn't too long with his answers that direction was shifted away from him and to the other candidates. Yeah, and Warren is basically making the you know 
case, you made this mistake, so you should never be president. And Bloomberg saying, you know, look at the totality of what I've done in my life. Look at the totality of what I bring to the table. So uh, Bloomberg did, excuse me, Warren did land some blows on Bloomberg. I don't Mm -hmm. think they're knockouts, but everyone kind of says he's kind of, you know, landed some blows. They weren't knockout blows. I do, however, think Bloomberg handled Sanders much better. In fact, the, the person on the stage that engage with Sanders most effectively was Bloomberg. And I don't, I think that's kind of lost right. in some of the media. So we have a, a clip here about um, Sanders questioning whether or not billionaires should even exist. And we see this back and forth between Bloomberg. Clip three, AJ. Senator Sanders, what did you mean that you don't think they should I'll exist? What, I mean. what did that mean? We have a grotesque and immoral distribution of wealth and income. Mike Bloomberg owns more wealth than the bottom 125 million Americans. That's wrong. That's immoral. That should not be the case when we got a half a million people sleeping out on the street, when we have kids who cannot afford to go to college, when we have 45 million people dealing with student debt. We have enormous problems facing this country. And we cannot continue seeing a situation where in the last three years, Billionaires in this country saw an $850 billion increase in their wealth. Congratulations, Mr. Bloomberg. But the average American last year saw less than a 1% increase in his or her income. That's wrong. Mayor Bloomberg, should you exist? I can't speak for all billionaires. All I know is I've been very lucky, made a lot of money, and I'm giving it all away to make this country better. And a good chunk of it goes to the Democratic Party as well. Is it too much? Have you earned too much money? Has it been an obscene amount of Should you have earned that much money? Yes. I worked very hard yeah. for it. And I'm giving okay. it away. All right, Eric. So we see Bernie Sanders' attacks on Bloomberg were less of you have this mistake or unfortunate thing that you did that I'm going to take you down with. It's more of this big structural economic right. class warfare, something a socialist might go after. The whole concept of someone like uh, Bloomberg with billions of dollars attacking the whole concept of how much wealth he has versus average people. What do you take when you hear that exchange there? Well, I think it 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 directed listeners to then look at Bloomberg and wait for his answers and not really to analyze what Sanders was actually saying. Because if you analyze what he's saying, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, if you understand the history of our country and the links of a representative democracy with a, uh, an economic system that's based on capitalism, some of the things that he's saying are very dangerous. Uh, I mean, because then you're, you're saying, okay, well, if there are limits or if there's if there is a, a way of looking at and capping wealth and then wealth redistribution, who's responsible for that? And this this even goes back to some of the things we could look at in terms of the founders in, in looking at limited government and limiting the power of government in order to maximize freedom because all of a sudden now you're kind of swinging that to say, well, no, we need to expand the control and authority of government in terms of economic freedom, uh, even more so than than we've already done it over the course of history. You know, implementing uh, income tax and uh, having uh, uh, social programs where money is collected and, and redistributed in certain ways. We've we've struggled always with a balance to do that. Um, uh, what we're talking about here is a, is a massive structural change when he starts using that kind of language. It, it, it implies it. It doesn't mean that 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 
that Sanders as president would be able to accomplish uh, something like that. And I think it would be maybe as contentious of a presidency as we see in some aspects of Donald Trump's presidency if his if he was attempting to do that. But but I, I think the analysis was lost on on Bloomberg. It was it was him having to defend the yeah. fact that he's been very successful. He's he's a self-made billionaire. Right. Uh, he um, uh, he has made uh, you you could look at his his wealth. We're not talking about uh, the elite illegality here you know that he acquired right, it right. in some way that's not been a part of the system economic system that we uh, that we have in this country but but all of that uh, Sanders rhetoric was all pointing to that to try to cast him as uh, you know the the robber baron you know someone yeah. that has 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 gotten all of this at the expense of others while there's 125 million people out there that are, are are suffering because of him. Yeah, I mean, you can make a billion different ways through corruption, or you can make a billion by being someone who's very valuable, who actually c- combines land, labor, and capital in a very innovative way that creates value. And I think that's the one critique I'd have on that answer. It says, he said, you know, do, do you deserve to make all that money? He said, yes, I worked very hard. It should have been Yes, I created a lot of value because mm-hmm. your average working man like me, I work hard too. Right, I'm just right. not creating the level of value he's creating, which would justify his enormous wealth. Right, and th- well, think of all the people that benefit from what he's done. I mean, that's the the sure. nature of a of a capitalistic system where there aren't limits on that. Because as the idea here is that if someone's successful in that way, they have to employ people uh, to be able to be successful. Yeah. Uh, do, and do we want to lose and, our billionaires? Are they really what's yeah, wrong with right, America? Right. No. Yeah. Do we want them yeah. to go abroad and. Create companies and investments abroad is, you know, yeah, that's a concern. I think that's the, that is a concern, and it's a concern that that really challenges some very, like you said, broad structural issues here. That if most people stop started to think about this seriously, uh, they should be raising some concerns as well. Because what imp, what does that imply in terms of uh, actual policy or? Not not so much in in policy outcomes, but where government would be directed, and what kind of challenges and tension and conflict that would create. Yeah, what are the unintended consequences right, right, of yes. driving our billionaires away and yeah. discourage right. their continued involvement in the economy? Uh, so this continued on. He started talking about workers, and this is where Bloomberg says, "Hold you, this you're you're going down a road. You shouldn't shouldn't go down here." AJ, clip four. You know what, Mr. Bloomberg? Wasn't you who made all that money? Maybe your workers played some role in that as well. And it is important that those workers are able to share the benefits also. When we have so many people who go to work every day and they feel not good about their jobs, they feel like cogs in a machine. I want workers to be able to sit on corporate boards as well so they can have some say over what happens to their lives. Mayor Bloomberg, you own a large company. Would you support what Senator Sanders is proposing? Absolutely not. I can't think of a ways that would make it easier for Donald Trump to get reelected than listening to this conversation. It's ridiculous. We're not going to throw out capitalism. We tried that. Other countries tried that. It was called communism, and it just didn't work. 
We hear a number of things there. Um, Sanders almost implying that Bloomberg's been exploiting these workers and making money off the workers. Of course, they've all probably got paychecks and health care plans. They probably have been compensated as part of the success of Bloomberg's financial uh, empire that he's put together. And also suggesting workers should be on the corporate boards. Workers should run these companies. You know, the, the owners basically lose ownership once they have employees. What do you, what do you say, Eric? Well, again, again, some dangerous rhetoric if you start to analyze that for what it is, uh, knowing uh, the challenges of running these corporations, the kind of talent that they try to attract. Uh, the 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 investment, you know, part of the engagement in running companies is the level of investment that someone has in that company. Uh, but I, w- I would say from Bloomberg, I mean, and this was experience too, working in uh, New York City during uh, the time that he was mayor, was that uh, he brought a lot of the success uh, from his business into the management of city government. And part of that was, uh, being able to attract people that that have talent, that have ability, mm-hmm. and to compensate them for that, and so I think Sanders is really off the mark here. I, I think he he's trying to set something up structurally that 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 is focused much more on e- on equality. You know that 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 there there has to be some level of of evenness in all of this across the board. When when and we look at it more in terms of equity, that we're not we're not trying to uh, not everybody have the same, but in our system. System is very much built on skills and abilities and how much those are valued in terms of the success of a company uh, or an organization. And I, I think that, that uh, again, da- uh, to me, is very dangerous rhetoric. I, and I'm not saying that to, to, to say that we don't have challenges and issues, and, and we have used government in the history of our country to address uh, the challenges of corruption and exploitation, and we're going to continue to have to do that. When you're when you're in a free market system and you give as broad of economic freedom as possible, or as we can agree on, you're going to have abuses, and those abuses then are the responsibility, certainly to to find those and try to address those. But but I, I, the way that Sanders is casting all of this, it's just uh, it seems it seems very contrary to uh, the way that we have merged our economic system with government. And, and to me, is very dangerous. Well, and it's an attack line coming straight out of some classic Karl Marx books about you know workers unite, workers owning uh, these things. And you heard Bloomberg there say, you know, one, this is ridiculous. You, you're using this language. You're going to reelect Trump easily. And they said we tried this before. It was communism. It didn't work. That got an ooh oh ah from from uh, Bernie and his supporters. They call themselves socialist. Not right. communist. Right. What do you hear when you hear the diff- the fine line between those words? Well, I, I think again, it's rhetoric flying. I think most people, uh, the average person, the challenge in them actually defining uh, what that is, uh, even knowing that we have some socialistic elements uh, within our system of governance and economic system, but those are they're, they're limited in in terms of what Sanders is talking about, and I think. Uh, Bloomberg was coming back with, uh, and it's almost like this thing. Why are we even discussing this? I mean, why is this even a, a yeah. point of of, of of debate? Because uh, he knows the economic numbers. He knows the economy is favoring Trump right now. It, it, it and will, as long as it stays stable and growing, it's going to continue to do that. And the the 
the stronger it is going into the election, the more of a threat that Sanders will appeal to that, uh, appear to that. And so I think he's trying to, to warn, warn everyone in a way of saying, why are we even dis- discussing this? We, he, he, he recognizes the value of the, of the, the system that we have and the critical election that this is and, um, and the, and really the danger. And I, I think that's that all the numbers, the things that we've looked at, some of the, the economic forecasts and so on. Uh, I don't see how uh, in, in, in defense of, of Bloomberg here, I don't see how that uh, Sanders has a pathway forward uh, in actually winning the presidency beyond the primary when all of the things that he's railing about, yeah. the level of satisfaction among the majority of people, the stability of the economy, I, d- I just don't see where that gives him a chance. Yeah, and, and Bloomberg is hearing this socialist ideological rhetoric and going, my God, are you guys trying to beat Trump or what? I mean, this is not what's going to beat Trump. And of course, everything's step by step. They're not trying to beat Trump yet. They're trying to right. be the nominee right. first right. <laughs> until you get to that point. So uh, attacks on Bloomberg weren't the only one. There was a lot of criticism from all all six of them were going after each other to to some degree. Uh, I picked out another uh, clip. There were a lot to choose from, and I couldn't mm-hmm. choose them all. Right. But this was one where uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar, two campaigns they have to take seriously at this point. I mean, Buttigieg coming from mayor of South Bend up into performing very well in Iowa and New Hampshire. Klobuchar s- surviving to this point and then outperforming expectations both in Iowa and then New Hampshire. They're both kind of competing for that space the space of the uh, establishment moderate wing when Biden falls apart they're there to try to take that space and they're competing for that space and what we're going to hear early in the week Amy Klobuchar in an interview um, didn't know the name of the Mexican president off the top of their uh, top of her head I would say that's actually kind of hard because they have a one-term limit in Mexico so it's always changing you know but um, but Buttigieg came at her with that right on the stage, and this is clip five, AJ. But you're staking your candidacy on your Washington experience. You're on the committee that oversees border security. You're on the committee that does trade. You're literally in uh, part of the committee that's overseeing these things, and we're not able to speak to literally the first thing about the politics of the country you, to ourselves. Are you trying to say that I'm dumb, or are you mocking me here, Pete? This is a race for president. If winning a race for Senate in Minnesota translated directly to becoming president, I would have grown up under the presidency of Walter Mondale. This is different. All right. So young Pete Buttigieg in his 30s suggesting uh, Senator Klobuchar in her 50s, um, you know, maybe doesn't have the knowledge or the resume to be president. He is the one with the great judgment. And there she's going to, she's a senator from Minnesota. And here he was kind of mocking the idea of a senator from Minnesota. Uh, what do you, what do you hear when you hear Buttigieg and Klobuchar? I don't think things are headed in a great direction for Buttigieg here. Well, I think it, it may be on the surface a cover for his lack of experience. We talked about this would be when he would, re, when, if and when he receives any attention. If he was even to get close to winning the the nomination, I mean the the focus would really be on his lack of uh, of experience beyond local and regional politics. And so I think this was an opportunity that he took to say, well, you're already in a position where you should know these things. Now we've seen 
presidential candidates trip up on these kind of things before. I mean, sure. everybody thinks back to George Bush and the question about a leader in Africa and and, and how that played out on uh, Saturday Night Live where Will Ferrell starts naming the cabinet of some country in the middle of well, Africa. And, and, there's, and there's, a, there's, <laughs> there's a great clip of Obama saying, I've been to all 57 states. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's, I don't, I think it was played out, uh, it was made to be more than it really was in that, uh, here was something that a direct question. It was probably meant to be that way because we've seen this happen before, and and Buddha Judge went after it because of his uh, lack of experience. And 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 since this was the tone of the debate, okay, let's just start attacking each other. Uh, then uh, then here was an opportunity for him to to bring that into question. And she she was I think caught off guard a little bit from it, but she did come back uh, and try to uh, address some of those things. So in terms of consequences, I, I mean, I just don't see that that is, is so significant at this point uh, and why that becomes such a focal point. And, and again, you think about it, it being the debate so much about these, the, uh, the barbs, the one-liners, the things that get the audience response. Uh, it's not about substance. It's not about going deep in, in terms of policy and, and looking at those things critically in terms of what, what the country either needs or needs to be sustained. Well, it is uh, dangers for the Buttigieg campaign. He's gotten so far. He's he's the best debater on that stage. He's mm-hmm. so clever and witty. But um, you know, at some point, now that this is going to move very fast, um, I don't know that he'll be able to keep up. You know, um, and and the idea that he's the one based on his level of experience and you know, um, it, it he's clearly annoying Klobuchar here. She feels like she's a very accomplished individual. She was a prosecutor in minnesota has been a three-term senator she's won her elections very easy she's very familiar in dc she's a pretty loyal democrat in the senate and he got into like criticizing her voting record in the senate and she's like who are you you know who who do you think you are you're so presumptuous you know you think you're the perfect person you know in your 30s from mayor of south bend you know and and Buttigieg, who's done an amazing campaign i certainly couldn't pull off a, a a a you know, win like this in the primaries, but it, I just think it's reaching its end point here. Um, so having processed this debate, how do you see this field going forward? I've been thinking about this, Eric, and I just think, yeah, Bloomberg's came down a little bit. If we look at the betting odds, the, you know, he's come down a little bit, but I just don't know that the race is, was fundamentally changed by that debate when a lot of the headline stuff was. I think a lot of the headline was intentionally negative. Um, one, Bloomberg's not a real Democrat. He's an independent. Mm-hmm. And I heard him in an earlier interview very well articulating the 12th Amendment, which is the Electoral College, and why it makes independent runs impossible because you need a majority of electors or it goes to the House. You can't be the best of three. You have to be better than both the Democratic and Republican nominee combined or it goes to the House who selects one of their own. And he's just saying it's just not practical to do an independent run. Republican nomination is secured by Trump. The only way I could run is in a Democratic mm-hmm. primary. So he gets it. He's in the Democratic primary because that's the only option here to really have a chance at the presidency. He's naturally an independent. And um, that's going to be a challenge for him going forward is to um, become the nominee of the Democratic Party, given the fact that he's actually an independent. Mm -hmm. Right. I I think that's the the strategy from the beginning was 
what was a clear path to the White House, and and of course having an, an open primary a, a primary process with multiple candidates. I mean, it would have been interesting if he would have entered in the Republican Party and challenged Trump for the nomination, but that may not have been certainly a clear clear path in terms of an incumbent president. But to have the two of them at some point have to engage with each other, and and that may still happen. But but I think what we're seeing is the outcome of this. Uh, and at least some of the, the looking at some of the polling data is that Sanders continues to benefit. He he is continues to gain some ground. Not it's not significant as we talked about. He's got a strong base of support, uh, but because of uh, this attack on the other candidates and and Bloomberg and whether he's pulling from Biden and so on. And so you see a grouping of of all of these other candidates with. Klobuchar basically in the bottom, uh, you know, Biden still uh, holding his own uh, a little bit, though he's mm-hmm. dropped considerably mm-hmm. nationally at the top, but everybody else in between. And so it, it's almost casting this going into these next two primaries uh, and into Super Tuesday as Sanders versus everybody else. How, how much of, of the primary vote will other candidates receive over against Sanders? And so we still won a forecast for uh, a, a brokered convention is is still you know the the, the way that the mix is. Uh, so now all the debate so, is some that, people are joining me on yeah, that. Yeah, right? Well, was, but but yeah. the question is coming out because the, there's a lot of questioning going on on uh, on the news cycle and and on some of the uh, the radio bro- broadcasts or programs that I listen to, and the question is asking people if Sanders goes into the. Uh, convention with the largest number not the majority but the largest number should he be given the nomination and and you're getting people saying basically that the way they're the they, they yeah, asking the, end, the debate yeah. and uh uh that that i think is where the challenge is now but what impact will that have on the forthcoming primaries will people be thinking yeah. about it in that way and then meaning okay well either one response is Sanders is in the lead, so vote for Sanders. Then we don't have to worry about a brokered convention and who may end up with the nomination or not vote at all. I mean, I think I think one of the things that we need to be watching into Super Tuesday is actual turnout and to see if this confusion and this this uh, these challenges that are going on amongst the candidates uh, and this uh, separation that Sanders is gaining actually has an impact on people turning out and voting in the primaries. Yeah, and I think my, my main point there by saying Bloomberg's really an independent, that's one reason he's getting attacked. But also, I think that's part of the, the reason the media was so happy to just uh, attack his performance, mm-hmm. to give him an F when they should have given him a C, um, is that, uh, you know, Democratic Party has a, a lot of control or influence on some media. And it was also interesting to see the Republican media, the, the, the media that prefers Trump, also went straight after, oh, that was yeah, the worst right. debate performance ever in history, yeah. because he's challenged. Challenging both the Democratic Party here coming in as an independent, trying to get the opportunity to challenge Trump. There's there's no natural cheerleaders in there. But fundamentally, it wasn't a great night for him. He's probably come down a little bit. But there's still a void in this field. Mm-hmm. 
the whole reason he entered late in the first place is you have Sanders with a nice momentum, but a horrible matchup against the president. And no one else has been able to fill that role of a great option here. Um, Bloomberg brings these resources. He has a very credible resume. He brings these resources. And I still think he has that strength going forward. He is outspending everyone in history mm-hmm. and particularly these other candidates they get money from you know campaign donors and that lets them go another week and that lets them focus on the next thing in the process and that lets them go from state to state bloomberg spending money in every super tuesday state records amount he's even spending money in april states i heard he already broke the record in pennsylvania which is an april state mm. i mean he is just able to do this great media buy with rather effective commercials selling a rather impressive resume and the other ones don't bring the resources he brings the resources to try to fill a void biden has the resume but but he's not inspiring the confidence. He sticks around. Buttigieg, best debater on the stage, but lacks the resume and experience to really make a final sale with it. Klobuchar is probably the best positioned in terms of being potentially a unifier for this party, but she doesn't have the momentum or the attention. She's like a lot of people's you know, second option, not their first option. Um, Sanders has this great socialist movement that's very impressive and young people, but it is just a horrible matchup and it's fun fundamentally big things that might be dangerous that people will pause before they want to buy into. And Warren is the best studied. She's the professor on the stage. She's studied. She's ready to go, you know, but is she someone that can unify this party? I'm not sure. I just don't know that the dynamics change. We still have this really divided field where everyone has a strength, but no one is the obvious choice. Right. Uh, And I think that's, that's why we need to be watching uh, going into super Tuesday to see not only, like I said, turnout, uh, but but does that change uh, any at all as as well? I mean, we're we're seeing in some ways this this short term, and it, and it could be very well short term because we could see some changes in in between Sanders and the rest of the pack. Uh, uh, you know, Bloomberg was on this trajectory going up that that has leveled off a little bit in in some ways. But uh, that I think that's the question going into this: is there going to be anybody else that's going to jump out of that pack, or is this going to be the normal? the norm going through primaries on into April and May. Yeah, and actually this is going to be the closest turnaround in debates for the whole cycle. So they're going to have another one on Tuesday night. So the headline focus on this particular debate, we're going to have a new debate to analyze. Uh, The dynamics might be very different. We're also going to start to get just a ton of states coming through that definitely Bloomberg can compete in. Not sure if they're all going to make it to these other states. Uh, Very interesting. And your focus on Super Tuesday is a natural great segue to our second segment after the break, which will be on Texas, one of the Super Tuesday states. Stay tuned for more Cogley and Morrow on politics following the break. Looking for a fun, casual podcast? Well, listen to Cruising the Planet, conversations between a rotating crew of broke college students just trying to get through the semester. Listen in live every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Central on the Tarleton Radio YouTube channel. Or listen to the episode afterwards wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Cruising the Planet. Welcome back to Cogley and Morrow on politics. So we were talking about Super Tuesday is going to be big. Bunch of states coming up. 
and we are, of course, in the great state of Texas. Eric, you are the native Texan in the room. You know it much better than me. I don't compete with you on Texas at all. Um, how's Texas looking? Uh, it's, it's a big state. It's an important state. Um, how's it looking when we look at this field specifically to the Texas contest coming up? So it's a field that has, has really changed uh, over the last several months when you're looking at the, the, the national polling compared to looking at Super Tuesday primary states and then, of course, looking to Texas, which is going through a political change in and of itself. I mean, this, the, the uh, uh, gains that the Democratic Party has made in the congressional delegation. So these primaries are always a, an opportunity uh, to look at turnout and to look at where the direction of that is going. And we've gotten into that on other shows where we talked about party change in Texas and, and what's happening. But really, in the primary, what we've seen over a short period of time is Biden really lose a significant amount of ground and other candidates gain. And and some of that, whether it's gone to Sanders or I think most of it, as we've identified, has gone to uh, Bloomberg, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's really changed uh, kind of the look going into Super Tuesday. Uh, and I think this next after this next week's debate, I, I'm not sure the significance of the debate in Nevada on Texas primary voters uh, in the uh, for the Democratic uh, primary, but I'm, uh, this next debate will be a week out from that vote. Uh, early voting has already begun in the state. Uh, the the thing that that is a prize for Texas, and that's why it is so significant. And this is why Bloomberg early on ads, you know, just going yeah. for the last several months, is because Texas awards two hundred and twenty eight. Uh, specific delegates that are identified by candidate, and then another 34 uh, undesignated. So 228 pledged candidates, and then another 34 that are that are unpledged uh, candidate or uh, uh, delegates to the primary to so the if, to, if I to, I just, mean, to the convention. If I could just add, um, these are the nuances that are going to be incredibly important if we're headed to a brokered convention. Which delegate is pledged versus unpledged on that first ballot? So on. And, and what's the significance of that is sometimes not so much on the uh, – it starts with the first ballot, but if this moves to a second ballot and delegations start to then shift, because this is what you see within those delegations, which maybe remind us a little bit of the caucus process, of, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's where those delegates uh, then can – can switch their pledge yeah. uh, on that second ballot. And so so that's what's significant with a large state like Texas is because if if the if there's unanimity among a delegation after the first ballot or if they can gain that, then that usually can put put the effort behind a specific candidate and and help to sway not just uh, more states but but also the outcome given the large number of delegates. So Texas is very very significant in this and and part of it is uh, 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 you know, alongside with a California and a New York, but California and New York, a little more predictable in the past. Maybe it's going to be a little challenging if we have uh, the mix that we do going further into the primary and we don't see some of these candidates drop off. But Texas is one of those that's, that's really in play, and we've seen that in the numbers. We've seen uh, just within uh, the last uh, uh Three weeks, uh, Biden uh, drop into second place in the state. Uh, where going into the 
into this next week and leading up to the primary, uh, Sanders has gained a little bit, but really not that much. And so he, he's in the lead in the state uh, among, uh, in, at least in terms of the percentage of people that are identifying and will vote uh, for Sanders. So I want to ask you about Sanders because this uh, Texas went for Hillary Clinton last cycle. Mm-hmm. It was not a Sanders state. Certainly Sanders is consolidating the left, but does he have like a limit to what he's capable of it, here it, in it Texas? It is, and that, and that is even with his lead, it only amounts to about 26 percent mm-hmm. of those pledged delegates. So, so that that tells you that, that that's not a significant enough challenge to overcome in the long scheme, uh, uh, long term, leading to the convention. It seems like Sanders' only chance to come out on the top in Texas is if the rest say stay so divided. You know, he may have this kind of ceiling of twenty six, and is twenty six a plurality? Or not. I'm curious. Um, it seems like Bloomberg is a good match for Texas for two reasons. Um, the population of Texas, second largest state in the union, means those ads are the way to get out. You're just not going to go to every small town and diner and meet everyone. You got to get massive ad buys. He's been doing that already. He's, he doesn't need to raise cash for Texas. He's already been spending in Texas rather effectively. And the other thing is Texas is open primary. So people who are independents or even Republicans right. can participate where Bloomberg, as an independent himself, is going to do well in open well, primary states. And, and you would think that. And I, I had thought that as well going into the these last few weeks that Bloomberg would, and he's made some ground. He's come from nothing, you know, zero to uh, really he's at 10%. That could increase some more by uh, Super Tuesday. Uh, but uh, that puts him in easily in fourth. Uh, behind Sanders, Biden, and even Warren in Texas. And so what maybe start to cons- uh, be concerned about this a little bit in terms of the impact of Bloomberg and looking at this and what what uh, what his, his chances may be uh, was uh, the recent University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll that just ha- had come out this week uh, that ranked. And so here you have Bloomberg mm-hmm. in fourth place, but he's been coming up uh, fast and, and maybe even with Biden by Super Tuesday if he continues on this trajectory. And the commercials will continue so the, the this progress will keep going right but but they also ask a question uh, not just on who would vote if the primary was held today but there was a second question that said of the remaining possible candidates who would be your second choice or have you not thought about it enough to have an opinion and it was very interesting uh, that 23 percent of the respondents said elizabeth warren and 16 percent said bernie sanders and so what made me th- look at this a little bit was the impact of of uh, Bloomberg overall and not that he's showing where he is in the overall state uh, polling in terms of the the top three or four candidates but as a second choice uh, where are uh, respondents leaning and and so that makes me a little bit concerned that the impact he's not getting the impact that he wanted in Texas that the strategy that he has it's had some effect uh, but uh, at least in terms of polling at the moment it's not having the impact uh, that would could propel him where he'd want to end up would be like in the top one or two. The second choice question is a very good one because the field narrows and consolidates and people sometimes end up on their second, third choice. This just doesn't concern me too much to see Elizabeth Warren number one as the second choice because that's a lot of Sanders people Mm -hmm. saying, well, second choice would be Warren, but Sanders ain't dropping out. He's got the money, the movement. So the fact that Warren is this hypothetical second choice that those people will never have to go to doesn't concern me. It looks like Bloomberg's coming up fourth here. Not the worst position. Mm -hmm. 
Right. It, it, it is. I mean, what it what it shows, if you look at it in terms of delegates, he's he's right now on track to get about 50 delegates. Sanders at about 80 of the pledged delegates for the state. So that that's that's certainly significant because that's that's even with Biden uh, uh, in the uh, in the primary. Uh, we're we've been concerned about where Biden may end up after South Carolina if he if he falters. Would his yeah. campaign continue? If that happens, will that support switch to a Bloomberg behind a yeah. Sanders and a Warren mm-hmm. in a state like Texas? Well, all of a sudden, if you combine Biden and Bloomberg, you have a hundred delegates, yeah. and so, so so a lot of this is very much in play. It's just it's so very close, and it's all going to depend on how many of these are, uh, candidates are still in the race come Super Tuesday. I do think Texas is a race between Sanders with a nice, solid, loyal support and Bloomberg. Can he catch up through these ads and mm-hmm. big? open primary state like Texas. I want to ask you a question about Pete Buttigieg, who's had a great campaign. He's on the map. He's got a thing. He's going to come here. Eric, I just think his opportunities in a state like Texas, which is socially pretty conservative, is um, limited. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk about a topic no one wants to talk about. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is openly gay with a husband. Um, people have talked about his numbers aren't as well in African-American communities where that's a, uh, this just their sentiment is, is a little more conservative in that community. And sentiment is a rather a little more conservative in Texas, in these rural communities. I'm not saying whether or not this should affect anyone's vote. I'm saying it just might when, when Buttigieg tries to go to the South and the Midwest and, and, and say, Hey, vote for me for president is his biographical fact that he's openly gay with a husband, is this a limitation on other parts of the USA just building this coalition? I think it is. I think that's why his campaign was focused early on in making, uh, being successful in Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, knowing that, okay, if he can build on that success, that that might roll into some of these other states, especially in the South, that, okay, people see him, they see what he what he can do, how he can speak. He's won a few primaries or been in the top two. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work in terms of a strategy. It seems like, at least in terms of polling, that he is very far in the back that that he's just above Klobuchar, who's not even registering in some southern states in terms of uh, any kind of percentage of vote. Sure, sure. And so I think this is going to be very much a challenge for his campaign, especially you you put the amount of money uh, that that uh, Bloomberg is spending, you put the the residual of what Biden still has the strength of the supporters of a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, and that combined with these issues where he's moving into a part of the country that is more socially conservative, and this is going to be a factor, uh, and and that that's just too much to overcome. And it's interesting doing radio. I mean, no one even wants to bring it up. They talk right. about, oh, he's yeah, a mayor, yeah. he's a mayor. Right, he's so, right. But there's another thing, and, and he's impressive in some ways. He's so clever and witty on that debate stage. So Amy Klobuchar being limited... Um, yeah, she's from Minnesota. I would just say Minnesota's also a Super Tuesday state, so mm-hmm. she'll have something to celebrate on right. Super Tuesday. Um, so anyway, Eric, as we're headed into this um, situation going forward, what are some final thoughts you have on uh, the race in Texas and beyond? Well, I think we're going to all be anxiously watching, or at least we will, because we're really into politics. Otherwise, we wouldn't do a show every week. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we're, we're going to be looking at that debate. How will the tone change uh, this next week, and where will the focus be is it is it going to shift 
uh, to Sanders. I would see somebody like Biden still going after Bloomberg uh, because that's the the segment of vote that that uh, he needs. Uh, Will Warren and Sanders, because you remember Warren is maybe facing a last stand here if she doesn't have some success in the next couple of primaries into Super Tuesday. Uh, so I think that the, the next debate, uh, I think that's critical. And and then the, the next part of it is just the ramp up to the to Super Tuesday and what the impact is going to be, because in one day uh, the dynamics of this race can change dramatically. Uh, depending on how all of these, because we could really say this is a national primary. It's enough states across the country that give a sampling uh, with enough demographic groups to show uh, the possibilities that each candidate will have. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, if Biden survives. Um, I've never been big on this campaign, and I think at some point he's going to have to pull out. And, and his last gasp here for success is South Carolina. He still thinks he can do well. But boy, if he loses that, that's embarrassing for him. He may not even want to go in and there and lose it. Um, and then that's a lot of poll numbers that freed up and to see where they go. Like you're talking the second choice, those Biden supporters who, who are important supporters because that's the establishment candidate. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of the connections and money started. And who's the second choice for that, the, the inevitable person who didn't come through? Where does that go? That's going to be very interesting to watch and very important, I think. Yes, it will be, and uh, and so we'll encourage everyone to engage with that, to watch that debate, uh, to to vote either early voting or on Super Tuesday here in Texas, uh, and to listen to us each week here on Cogley and Morrow on politics uh, to get analysis as we navigate this primary process. All right, and we got our past episodes up, podcast throughout. We have our Facebook page. Come and like us. Thanks so much for listening to us this week on Cogley and Morrow on politics. We'll be back next week with a fresh episode here on 90.5 KTRL. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from AJ Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.